The Bucket Plan On Demand series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach on advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bucket Plan On Demand podcast. I've got, uh, again, our great co-host, Jason Smith, with me. Jason has been bucket planning and really pioneered this approach over the last 20 years in the philosophy of how we implement the bucket plan. And today, we're going to be talking about a really critical topic, which is really assessing clients' volatility or risk and how you go about doing that if you're taking a bucket planning approach. So Jason, again, thanks for being here today. And why don't you, you open it up and kind of start talking a little bit about how we think about volatility tolerance when it comes to bucketing money. Today we're gonna to be covering protect your clients from market volatility. So we've, this has been a series and we've been, of course, Dave will be here with me. And what we've been doing is covering the different components of the bucket plan best interest process. And so one of the key components is the volatility tolerance analysis. And it's really crucial to protecting your clients from market volatility because ultimately that's why we call it a volatility tolerance analysis is because you know, for the most part, we're using a lot of managed money portfolios, um, within our recommendations of stocks and bonds. We're not doing a ton of individual securities. So at the end of the day, the way we look at it is it's more about volatility than it is about risk. And so we really want to precondition the client to understand volatility is the ups and downs of the market. Risk is more associated with us potentially losing that money. Now, as long as we've position the money correctly and segmenting the money into different buckets, it's really about managing volatility, not managing risk. And so that's why we call it volatility tolerance analysis. And what we're trying to do is position it into the different buckets and what we do do, and then ultimately eliminating the client from making bad decisions or being irrational because they understand there's going to be a certain amount of volatility on certain segments of money. Typically in the first bucket, there's going to be no volatility. In the middle bucket, there may be some or very little volatility. And then the third and final bucket, that's when they're typically willing to take on a lot more volatility to be able to optimize equities out in that later bucket. Yeah. And, you know, Jason, I think like one of our most important functions as a financial planner is to counsel our clients on staying the course with the investments that we feel are best suited for their long term financial goals. And, you know, you've uh, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, but you, you coined one of my favorite terms I use with clients and it's freak out risk. Right. And we've all seen some of the studies. These are great pieces that you can take home and, and use with your clients. But Dalbar puts out an analysis every single year. This is looking at last year. This is 2018. And what Dalbar shows is how did the average investor stack up against the S&P 500? And so if you took $100,000 and invested it in the S&P 500 index and just closed your eyes, never looked at how the market did, 
you'd have a pretty decent return for the year, over 20-year annualized returns of right around 8%. But if you look at the average investor, they're right at about 4 to 4.5%. And so what Dalbar started to do is they said, well, why does the average investor do so much worse than the index fund itself? And so some of these things, you know, are outside of some of our control or the clients that control, like there's fund expenses. I mean, the reality of it is you can't just buy the S&P 500. You have to buy an index fund and the fund companies charge expenses to do that. There's a need for cash that comes up, right? Maybe the advisor didn't quite plan for enough liquidity in that now bucket um, maybe they have a lack of cash to invest, but look at that big one. That big one is voluntary investor behavior. Over 1.5% of annualized 20-year returns comes from voluntary investor behavior. And I point that back to simple common terms. I mean, I, I look at that, that's freakout risk, right? These people freaked out and they made bad decisions. And so having a solid foundation from a volatility tolerance analysis can certainly help eliminate that freakout risk. And this is another great piece that we see. Again, this is the S&P 500. But what causes that freakout risk? Well, you know, the, the stock market is like a roller coaster. So, you know, you go through these cycles. It's almost like the emotional or the investor psychology. I think it's more of an emotional cycle than anything where if we look from the dot-com bubble and when it burst, you know, people were depressed down at the bottom. Then you start to go into this market recovery and gain hope and then relief and then optimism and then excitement and then thrill and then euphoria. And then what happens? Well, markets go in cycles and they correct just like they always do. And we saw that in 2008. Now in 2008, we saw it at a different level than we've previously seen in history. But you start to create some volatility, some uncertainty, some talks about recession that creates anxiety, denial, fear, desperation, panic, right? And this is where if the clients don't have a solid plan in place, they haven't properly segmented their money, they're looking at all their money as one big bucket, and there wasn't a proper assessment done on the amount of volatility they're comfortable with, they can make some really bad decisions. And well, so that's the I, key is you have to explain to the client that this is healthy in the later bucket. This is what it's supposed to do. If you're willing to take this ride, you're going to ultimately earn a really good rate of return. You're going to earn more money in the later bucket than you will in the soon. And so, but you have to be willing to take the ride. Absolutely. And Jason, you know, this is a piece you actually introduced this to me. This is an overlay you probably haven't seen before, but you introduced to me this Calian piece uh, a, a number of years ago, and I use it all the time. And basically what it does is it color codes each asset class, and then it ranks them at the top highest performer and at the bottom worst performer. So like in 2018, cash equivalence was the highest performer, while emerging market equity in gold is the lowest performer. And you see these squiggles on here. This is a little bit different version of it. And what the squiggles basically represent is the yellow line is the S&P 500, right? The most prominent benchmark that I think most clients follow in the media on how equities perform. And the white is U.S. fixed income. Again, so I think when a lot of investors think about investing, right, it's like you have stocks in the S&P 500, you have bonds, fixed income. And the reality of it is, if you trace these two, just these two asset classes year by year, 
it's like an EKG machine, right? There's no rhyme or reason. One's up one year, one's down one year, one's back up, one's back down. And so if you don't have a good foundation of volatility assessment, it's going to be really hard to keep your clients comfortable to be, you know, remaining the course. And I think this is a unique visual just to see the choppiness of those returns. Right. And I mean, the reality of it is, um, we all know investing in the markets, it's like a roller coaster, right? It has its ups, it has its downs, but I think we're all in agreement right now, especially with computers, technology, and a lot of the fact that I think the last stat I saw was like 80% of the volume of the stock market is just driven by computer trading at this point. It's like, it used to be a big deal if the S&P or the Dow fell by 500 or 600 points. And it seems like that's like a, a somewhat normal occurrence these days. So while it's still a roller coaster, the twist and the turns of that roller coaster are just a lot bigger, steeper, higher hills, bigger drops. And the reality of it is people's ability to, to take on that, that ride changes over time. You know, it's funny, my wife and I were joking the other day. Um, I used to, both of us used to love roller coasters. Like back when we were in high school, we used to love roller coasters. And we used to be able to go on pretty much any roller coaster out there. Jason, by your lake house, you have Cedar Point, one of the tallest roller coasters in the world. Used to love that. A couple of days ago, I was on the swing with my three-year-old and I started getting dizzy because I was swinging too high. And like, that's just an example of how as people get older, their capacity or appetite for this stuff changes. And so if we yeah, can help our 30. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pathetic, right? I can't even go on a swing and I'm 35 years old. Um, God, who knows what will happen when I'm 50? Uh, but I think this is, uh, this is such a strong reason that clients need us. They need advisors to help them. And I had a, 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 an appointment last night with the client, and I shared with him this piece because we were talking about my fees, right, and the portfolio management fees. And my advisory fee, my 1% that I charge to be their wealth manager. And I brought this piece up with that client. And I said, you know, and he was actually in Vanguard funds. He was in a couple target date funds. And I said, this is put out by Vanguard, the company that you invest in right now. And they know how important an advisor is. And they actually did a whole bunch of research. And they calculated that an advisor adds about 3% to a client's portfolio over time. And so if you look at how that's broken down, you get, you know, maybe about zero to 115 basis points on portfolio construction, the fact that somebody's rebalancing and all the value that that brings, you get a zero to 145 basis points on wealth management. You know, that could be in, in incorporating tax planning and legacy planning, social security optimization, but that far right one, that's the biggest component. And what is that? 150 basis points for what? Behavioral it's really coaching. Planning. It's, if behavioral coaching is so much about having a plan in place, too, and that's the power of the bucket plan. Because the, and, the, and also what I want to is the portfolio construction piece, that's where that calendar periodic table really plays a big role. Because too many people, if you run a risk and diversification analysis report or an investment audit, we'll call them, Basically, you can see where there's a lot of over, there's too much overlap or too, too high concentration uh, in certain asset classes. Often it's large cap. 
and especially people are chasing previous returns because large caps done so well. But as we know, diversification is the most important thing because you never know what asset classes are going to have a run for a number of years. And so without that crystal ball that none of us have, that's the importance. So I love that Vanguard piece because it shows the portfolio construction. You can use the Callum periodic to back up that. The um, behavioral coaching is a big component of the bucket plan, right? And having them stay the course and avoid freakout risk. And then you have the wealth management, which is really what is, is the definition of holistic planning, right? It's that comprehensive planning where you're looking at all, at all aspects of their life, making sure the tax planning, the social security optimization, you know, is all coordinating with the insurance and the investment. Absolutely. And I mean, the value of hiring us, right? Look at This is Vanguard's number. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying this will happen every time. But, you know, Jason, if you give me a dollar and I give you $3 back, how long would you play that game for? Right? And yeah. that's the value that we could bring, right? You pay 1%. But if somebody's bringing this type of value, this is what a true holistic advisor, to your point, can do with the right tools, the right portfolio construction, the right planning process with behavioral coaching, and then bringing additional value added, it's such a big benefit for the consumer out there. And so let's talk about risk a little bit and volatility, because that's what the purpose of today's webinar and training is. Uh, Dr. Wade Fow uh, from the, uh, the American College Professor of Retirement Income, I was actually just at dinner with him last night, and he put out a, a great article that had to do with risk and volatility. And he stated, retirees have less capacity for risk as they become more vulnerable to a reduced standard of living when risks manifest. Those entering retirement are crossing the threshold into an entirely foreign way of living. And I think if, if you asked all of us, we'd be like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, somebody gets closer to retirement, right? Uh, Jason, you call it the money cycle. You built a tool around it. And as people get closer to retirement, they should dial back risk. But what Wade and I were talking about last night is the reality that two things happen to most people out there. As they approach retirement, they become too conservative and they lose potential purchasing power by not having enough of their money in growth assets still. So they almost go over the top. Or the other is they fail to make any of their money conservative. They stay invested like they're a long ways out from retirement when in reality it's right around the corner. And those are two big dangers that our clients face as they approach retirement. Yeah, I mean, the one is inflation risk, right? Because you don't have enough money in growth assets, primarily equities, to outpace inflation. And then the other is sequence of returns risk, where you have too much in growth assets. And that's the whole the whole idea of segmenting the money. Absolutely. And I mean, he goes on that the risks that those retire space, and this is good language you can use with your clients, reduced earnings capacity. We know that when they stop working, they get into their late 60s, 70s, they absolutely have reduced earning capacity. Visible spending constraints, heightened investment risk, unknown longevity, spending shocks, compounding inflation, declining cognitive abilities, these are things that 
all can come out through a risk assessment. I did the volatility tolerance analysis with a client last night. And again, like they kept joking, like it's going to be really interesting how I score these in five years. They're 62 right now. He kept saying in five years, I can't wait to see how I score this. In 10 years, I can't wait to see how I score this because things change over time. So one other thing that I wanted to talk about here is there's, there's a big difference between risk appetite and risk capacity. And I feel sometimes this is where uh, risk assessments can fall short. And, and we've identified this and spent a lot of time talking about it, Jason, at the bucket plan training that we do with, with uh, advisors that come through this. But there's an appetite for risk, but then there's a capacity for risk. And sometimes those two things don't align. And it's important to have that mindset with your consumer. Just because somebody has an appetite to take on more risk doesn't mean they actually have to within their financial plan. And I always use the example, I have a client that uh, he scored that he has an appetite for a higher amount of risk. But when I ran his financial plan, he was going to be able to meet all of his goals and objectives in a more conservative portfolio. And so I sat the options down and I said, hey, I know you have the appetite for more risk, but I also wanted to show you, you actually don't need to take it. You can meet all of your goals and objectives on a more conservative level. Now, the downside is you're gonna be invested more conservatively, so it might mean less wealth to your family, but the positive is you don't have to stomach a, a more wilder ride of the stock market. And so having those discussions um, around risk appetite versus risk capacity could be really helpful when you are educating clients on what their options are. You know, Dave, I've been saying this for years to people. Um, when I recognize that all they're going to need to do, either, either they don't need to draw off liquid investable assets because they have enough fixed income sources, Social Security, pension, et cetera, or they're needing to draw less than 3%. I typically will have this conversation with them that, listen, you guys have done an amazing job. Like if, if life is a game, you know, and the American dream is to accumulate enough income or assets that you can live the rest of your life the way you're accustomed to and never have to worry about running out of money. You won the game. You have won the game. So now the question you have to ask yourself is how much of that win do you want to risk? Because you're already in a position. Because, and then I have the same conversation as you just did. I'm not going to repeat it. Is really just about, is it about leaving more money for the long haul? Or is it about having that peace of mind to know that you're never going to run out of money? You never have to worry about income for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's fantastic. So when we get into, uh, I want you to talk about this a little bit, Jason, because like, you know, this is something that I feel you've really pioneered. You've helped me implement over the last, I don't know, 12, 10 years. Um, but, you know, kind of what most advisors do versus what, you know, we believe is a more efficient way to help segment money and then assign potential risk and volatility to it. Well, the challenge that I had for many years in doing, because I've been doing bucketing for a long, long time now, and the challenge that I had before we really refined the process and built the volatility tolerance analysis is 
all the risk assessments out there were scoring it as it as if it was one giant bucket. And so the reality of it is, you're not going to invest the money that you're going to be drawing off of or need sooner rather than later and have a very short time horizon and need for liquidity to be able to take heavy income or withdrawals. That money is going to be invested completely different than money that you have a 10, 15 year time horizon before you're going to need to access the money. And that was the flaw in the risk assessments that I, that I was trying to use for years was they didn't bucket, right? They weren't associated buckets. It was like it was the traditional, you know, systematic withdrawal income planning SWIP methodology of just taking the old 4% rule. And so, you know, typically you'd fill out a risk assessment, and let's say it comes out as a 60-40, and it would look something like that on the screen on the, on the top right. But the problem is, is ultimately, you know, you go into 60-40 portfolio, Look at the max drawdown, um, 35.5%, right? I mean, that in itself will absolutely cause freakout risk. And so freakout risk is a real thing. That's what causes that 1.5% uh, a, a less return that an investor could ultimately earn. You know, it's, it's, it's a real thing. So um, by segmenting the money and then scoring the bucket separately, it really buys them that it, it cements the concept of bucketing because they've actually scored it and they're telling you, you're not telling them, they're telling you how they want to invest the different segments of the money. So each segment has its own time horizon. So this is like kind of step one is first we want to set the premise for the bucketing. Then we want to overlay you know, and do the risk assessment on each of the buckets. Now, when I say each of the buckets, we don't do the now bucket because that's money in cash. It's just the two buckets, the soon and the later. And then ultimately in step three is where we're making sure that we're diversifying um, across different asset classes, especially in that later bucket. Because usually in the soon bucket, um, you know, so when we think about diversification, we got to look at all three buckets. So think of cash as the soon bucket, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the now bucket. The soon bucket is going to be your fixed income or fixed income alternative. And then the later bucket is going to be much more diversified across all asset classes. And a healthy portfolio is going to be look something like this. Overall asset class, small amount in cash, fixed income is going to be the whatever amount you need to solidify the income or buy the time horizon for the in the client from a behavioral finance standpoint, you want to now in the soon bucket to give them the confidence to stay the course and, and take on the volatility in the later bucket with the rest of the assets. Now, Jason, when you're segmenting the money, is time horizon the only thing you account for in, in determining like how much should go in each bucket? Yeah, it's it's time horizon, it's purpose of the money. I mean, those are the two key components that you really want to focus in on, time horizon and purpose of the money. Um, that's, that's what it is. Ultimately, income consideration is going to be factoring in the now and the soon bucket. The, we never take income out of the later bucket. What happens is, is the soon bucket feeds the now bucket, which is the, and they consume the money out of the now bucket. 
the later bucket is almost like if you think of you ever been to one of those water parks like uh where it has the kids areas and they have that giant bucket up in the sky right and it like takes it takes minutes sometimes it takes five minutes it takes whatever and all the kids are watching and the parents are watching because you know what this giant bucket to splash on your head <laughs> this cold water, right? and you're watching it and then eventually though it gets full and then that bucket empties we'll think about that in the later bucket because you know it, it isn't like every year every year we're not moving money from the later bucket to the soon bucket it's when we just had a really good run on the market and the soon bucket starts getting depleted because it's the one that is feeding the now bucket for income purposes then we'll reload the soon bucket. So that soon bucket is we're buying time horizons or we're buying bridges of income. So let's talk about step two. You mentioned, and I know this was just a game changer for me as an advisor, but once you've segmented, then you overlay the risk assessment. Right, and, the, and that is the order and it's, and it's you know, because it's, it's something that, again, getting them to buy in, first what we need to do is kind of look at their money in segments based on knowing what their income need is and knowing what, you know, kind of the purpose of the money and the time horizon is. But then secondly, then we're doing the risk assessment, right? Then we're overlaying the risk assessment on top of it. And so then we can kind of take a look at it and understand that, oh, okay, this is what it looks like. I'm gonna be conservative, because in many cases, clients will wanna make changes. They'll wanna diversify and even have a little bit more money in the later bucket. And, or maybe they'll wanna take some of the money in the later bucket and say, you know what? I actually wanna shift a little bit more of that into the conservative bucket, into the soon bucket. So they conceptually get that because now they own it, because they've scored it, so first we segment the money, then we overlay the risk assessment, and then three, we're making sure that we're very diversified um, in, our, in our offerings within the bucket. Yeah, and what I love about it is, I mean, from an advisor, this, this concept, right, it's completely product or portfolio agnostic. I mean, we threw some basic look at cash fixed income equities, like it doesn't become more generic than that. Um, but you can bring a lot of sophistication to the strategies, the solutions that you decide to deploy in the soon and later bucket. But the clients get it. They understand it. It's such a powerful communication tool. So Jason, thanks so much for sharing kind of that three-step process. I know it's been a game changer for me as I've helped clients implement this. I know obviously at the JL Smith Group, you've seen unbelievable success through bucketing over the last 20 years, uh, as well as assigning and, and, and uh, helping measure the amount of volatility or risk that the client is willing to take. And so a couple other points for those of you on, uh, we have a webinar series actually where you're gonna get to visualize and see some of the client-facing tools that we shared earlier on this podcast. You're also gonna get to hear Jason take myself and Casey through an actual volatility tolerance analysis. So you'll get to hear the exact verbiage, how he asks the questions, how he engages with that prospect through the volatility tolerance analysis. So that's all on the Bucket Plan On Demand webinar. And then there's the white paper associated with the Bucket Plan On Demand, where you're gonna get a little bit more data 
part of the white paper is to really assess other risk assessments out there too. Some of the pros, the cons, some additional academic research validating risk assessments, volatility assessments, and some fantastic information on behavioral finance. And so again, Jason, the Bucket Plan On Demand podcast was great with you this week. Thank you so much for bringing 20 years of wisdom and insight in bucket planning and uh, volatility tolerance to the table. And we appreciate your time. Thanks. It was great. The Bucket Plan On Demand series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach on advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. 